most of you probably saw the revised schedule, so we're going to be working on what was last week's lesson today. We're not skipping a lesson, and then next week uh, we'll be doing lesson six, and then we have one more lesson to go. And you can think about this, but Michelle and I thought that um, the week that lesson seven is to be taught is actually the first week of, it's the week of spring break. And we thought we would just go ahead and, for those of you that aren't on spring break, we just keep meeting and finish up the series. And if you have to go and you've got your trip to Florida planned, <laughs> I guess you'll just have to take it. <laughs> I mean, that's a tough, um, yeah. I mean, you could adopt me and Michelle could teach and then. <laughs> but um, since, since we're on, our lesson today is called The Journey Begins. So this is God's way out of, um, Egypt and out of slavery and bondage. So we're going to continue that journey. So let's bow for prayer and then we'll get right to the lesson. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for preparing a way for us to find our way out of sin and bondage. We think, Lord, of the people who are struggling today. We think of the people in Ukraine. Lord, what a tragic and painful thing for them to be going through. And we ask that in some way, your grace would just be manifest to them and that they would remain strong. And for those who know you, Lord, we ask that you would just strengthen their hearts and let there be an outpouring of the promises of God to them and to those that they know who do not know you and who may be losing their lives. Lord, we, we ask your grace upon that nation. We pray for our nation too and the, the other countries around as though it seems this one nation is standing all alone. We pray, Lord, for our own uh, leadership and we pray, God, that you would be in this, that somehow, Lord, and even through our prayers and those of others in the whole world that are praying, that you would be uplifted and glorified in this. We ask it now in your name. Amen. So we're going to be talking about God's power revealed, revealed against Pharaoh, revealed against the Egyptians. And somebody just mentioned today that we have a, a good picture of that in our political situation where we need to have the power of God just overwhelm the power of the enemy. So um, we need to be praying. We need to be praying for that nation. But we're going to begin in um, Exodus 13 with reading just a little bit to prepare us for the lesson. Because we need to understand that all of the things that the Israelites go through has actually been prepared for them by God. Testing and trials have been God-ordained. And we need to recognize that for our own lives, that testing and trial is part of the Christian walk. It's not the part we really like very well sometimes, but it's designed to help us to grow. And that's what we see happening here. We have Israel up until this time just following Moses, um, getting themselves together and getting prepared for this journey. 
And so let's just start on um, Exodus 13, starting in verse 17. I want to just read a little bit here to set the scene. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. Isn't that interesting? He didn't take them the easy way or the well-traveled way. He took them a way that was harder. For God said, if they face war, because these nations would have seen them coming and would have gone to war against them probably, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. Boy, does he know us well. <laughs> um, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Now, they've never battled before in their entire lives. But we find out a little bit later on that there was a, apparently an army of people. Must have been small because it's mentioned a little later in today's lesson. So Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. And he said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you after or from this place. And after leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, this is always neat, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. And neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And God himself in that pillar of cloud and pillar of fire never left the Israelites the entire time and even in the years that they were um, in, in the wilderness for the 40 years the Lord was always with them. And we need to realize that, that even in the hard places, the Lord is with us. In all of his glory, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, displayed really the glory of God and as a reminder to them. And these people were weak and shaky like we are. And we're going to find out just how weak they were as we go on here. So... Um, <clears throat> I'm going to take you through the outline. Um, there, there are a lot of questions. I might skip some of them, but I think that this will help us the best way. So we're going to look here at Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's pride and God's power, starting in Exodus 14, verses 1 through 9. And we'll just take parts of it and read through. But um, we find out that Israel is just beginning to learn that their troubles are only beginning. So let me start reading in, in 14.1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near pi Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea. I don't think I have a map on here. I, I was should have attached one. Um, they are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Zephon, and Pharaoh will think the Israelites are just wandering around in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. When the king of Egypt had to, um, was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds and said, What have we done? 
we've let the Israelites go and we've lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready, he took his army with him, and he took 600 of the best chariots along with the other chariots of Egypt and the officers over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of the king of Pharaoh, of the king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near the sea. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and the Egyptians were marching after them. So, as you read, let's look at the question, question one under um, the first section. As you read these verses, what do you learn about um, Pharaoh that illustrates his power and his pride and just who he is exactly? How would you describe him from what you learn here? Talking about Pharaoh, ready to go after the people after God has devastated his land. How would you just describe Pharaoh? Yes, Anne. Not impressed. Not impressed. After all, he sees himself as God. God is nothing to him. I know not the Lord. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? He's nobody. He's not going to give up, and he's not going to change his mind. Not going to change his mind. His heart is hardening progressively. God is hardening his heart. So he takes off after them. He is relentless, and God knows his every thought because he has prepared everything just as he ordains it. So how well does God know Pharaoh's thoughts? Pharaoh thinks that the Israelites are doing what? In that desert area, just simply, they're lost and confused. But the power of God is with them. So Pharaoh just thinks, ah, those fools, they're just there wandering. They don't know where they are. They don't know where they're going. So God's purposes in bringing this confrontation into the lives of his people is to test them and to show them really who he is. They hardly know him. So God is about to begin to display his power and his glory to the Israelites. So I want you to look at um, Israel's reaction in verses 10 through 12. Just kind of read that over for yourselves a little bit here. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and, and I want you to think about how they reacted and what their behavior was like when they recognized what was going on. Verses 10 through 12. Were they calm? No, fearful, worse than fearful, terrorized, in absolute panic. Have you ever panicked and, and been absolutely frazzled by it? You run around like a chicken with your head cut off. You don't know what direction you're going. That's how they were. All they could think of was that they were going to be destroyed without reason. Panic is not reason thinking. So as they watched what was happening, they, they didn't think about God either. Where were they looking? When the Israelites recognized what was going on, where were they? Were they looking at God? No. All they could see was Pharaoh and his armies approaching. Panic 
What are we going to do? We have no might against this enemy. We cannot face them. And so you have to think about this. Their response is based totally on what? Not on faith, but on what they see. All right? I want you to take a moment and turn over to um, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 18 and 19, familiar verses. Good ones to mark in your Bible. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. A reminder from God, instead of looking at that army that's gathered around you, set your eyes on what is, we look not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. They had no idea of the eternal plan of God. So all they saw was what was in front of them. And then um, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, just go down a bit. This is a verse we like to say real easy. We live by faith and not by sight. You ever said that? Oh, well, Christians live by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Repeated in the Bible many times. Our first instinct is to walk by what we see. And then we begin to figure out how we can get around what we see. And God is saying, that's not how I want you to walk, Israel. I want you to walk by what you do not see. I want you to walk by the leading of the pillar of fire and the pillar of light, by the power of God alone. It's a big order. And it's one that we need to learn because I am more likely to walk by what I see than by what I don't see and to pull myself back to where I'm not panicked and not just depending on my own reason takes some doing. And I have to ask the Lord to strengthen me to do that. Now, we need to look at the verses next because We see God working with Moses and with the Israelites. The first time I ever read these verses and read them the way we're going to be talking about them was years and years ago. Um, When I was first studying spiritual warfare and and how to face the enemy. And some of the things I read that, that the authors were writing were like absolutely startling to me. But what God is doing here with Moses is he is teaching Moses that as his representative, because remember Moses is God's representative to the Israelites on earth. Remember God says that I'm going to speak to you and give you my words. And then you're to tell my words to Aaron and Aaron then will tell them to the people. Later on, we see Moses himself speaking directly to the people, but God speaks to him. And so what we have happening here is what God oftentimes wants to do in us and to speak with the authority that he has given us. He's given Moses authority to act as his representative on earth. Do you feel like God has maybe asked you to do that? We are. We are his representatives here on earth. And here's what God says to him. So 
to find my place here in Exodus chapter 14. Let's go down and I'm going to start, um, I'm going to start at verse 11 and read down um, through part of this. The people cried out in their terror, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. I'd rather do anything than stand here looking at this water right now and looking at Pharaoh's army coming behind me. Get me out of this place. And Moses answered the people. Now, how many people was Moses leading? Millions. Millions. They estimate at least two million people, men, men especially, including all of their cattle, all of their children, and so on. Big as a city, not a small group of people. So Moses is looking out of, around at this crowd of people, and he says, tell me what he says. Look at verse 13. Don't be afraid. Stand still. Stand firm. Wow. Think about that many people standing, seeing Pharaoh and his armies gathered behind them, coming up with horses and chariots. And your leader says, well, okay, guys, stand still now. Hold your peace. And that word, hold your peace or be quiet, <clears throat> means absolute silence before the Lord. Hold your peace. No squirming, no wiggling, no talking, no whispering, no nothing. Hold your peace. Because God is about to work. And he says, this is Moses, the Lord speaking through him, the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be, what's the word? Still. Still. Mm -hmm. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. And what I learned as I was doing my studying for the lessons I was teaching had to do with this. That the Lord says to us, be still and know that I'm God. I'm going to fight this battle for you. Because I am working for you. So the Lord will fight for you, Israel. You need only be quiet before the Lord. And then the Lord said to Moses, Hey, Moses, why are you crying out to me to do something? Why are you crying out? Oh, get that. You tell the Israelites to move on. Moses, you take authority and you stand before them in my place and you tell those people to move on. So God says to the Israelites, you guys stand still. He says to Moses, well, why are you crying out to me? 
Time for you to stop your crying out to God. Time for you to begin to take authority and act in my name. And so Moses, it's like when he took up his staff and he threw it on the ground, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are taught to say. I bind that enemy and I stand in Jesus' name and I'm telling you Israelites, it's time to move on. I'm standing in the name of the Lord. That's really what Moses is being told to do. Moses, you take authority. I'm giving you authority to direct these people as my representative. Questions or comments? Are we asked to act as God's representative here on earth? Yes, we are. Are we asked to do spiritual warfare on behalf of God on the earth? Not just to cry out to him and say, Lord, please, Take the devil away from me, please, Lord. Instead, he has said to us, you take authority over that enemy. I have given you authority to act in my behalf. And in the name of Jesus, I bind the enemy. I cast him out. We've talked about this before. Mm -hmm. The Lord gives us authority. And that's what Moses is doing. Remember, we talked about how Pharaoh represents the enemy of our, of our souls. He wants to, he's a representative of Satan. So we have God on one side of the battle and Satan on the other. And here is Moses standing on earth as God's representative. So we are in that position. We may not be leading groups and groups of people, but God has called us to stand in his stead against the enemy. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus continues his teaching in the New Testament. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bind and I loose. And we're gonna cover that before we're done with this series, okay? Questions or comments? Yes? I'm just wondering if there's millions of people, how are they hearing Moses? By the power of God. In all honesty, we have no answer for that. Millions of people, not just a small group. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how God did that. Mm -hmm. Even if there were uh, 600 people, how would they hear? One man, the whole universe around him, it only had to have been by the hand of God. But God is working through him. To kind of put it in perspective, there's like three and a half million people in the whole Twin City metro area. Right. And, sh and that's so, about... So you think about it. Like, that's what we have to think about. Mm -hmm. So bigger than Duluth. <laughs> By ten times. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you think it could have trickled down, you know, like Moses spoke, and then they heard and they would pass that? Well, it probably did, and it might have. But we don't know. But this is what God says. Moses, why are you crying out to me? When I first read that, when I was first studying this, I'm going, what's he talking about? And then all the books I read would say, well, <laughs> God is giving us authority over the enemy. And we need to remember that. We have authority over the enemy. Why? Because Jesus has destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. That's what we're going to see in here. 
and my podium's gonna fall first. <laughs> but you see, that's what it's about. We have authority over the enemy. We have the authority to tell him no power. Sorry, God's in charge here. Now, here's the next thing, verse 16. He says to the Israelites, um, Moses says, raise your staff. God says, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters so that the Israelites can go through on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. <clears throat> and I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. So what promises did God give to the Israelites? You can go back up to uh, verse 5, verse 6. Just read down what promise, or 15 and 16. Read on down. What promises did God give to Moses to give to the Israelites? He's going to fight for them. They do not have to do anything but stand still and move as Moses told them to. You do not have to fight in this battle. Now, there are countless places in Scripture where we are told the same thing. If I had time this morning, I could show you. But over and over again, God will say to his people, you do not have to do anything. Hold on. Let me just give you one before we go on. Second Chronicles uh, chapter, I think it's 22 or... Let's just turn to Second Chronicles 20-something, and I'll find it for you. <laughs> okay, Second Chronicles chapter 20. Seventeen. <clears throat> Yeah, 17, or even 15. But this is where the Moabites were going to attack uh, Jehoshaphat's people, the Israelites. And they were um, enemies of theirs from years and years ago. And, and in verse, um, let me read part of verse 15 or 16. It says, do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. And then down to verse 17. Are you in chapter 20? I'm at 20. Mm -hmm. Second Chronicles 20, sorry. 2017 now, you will not have to fight in this battle, even though all of this army is after you. You don't have to fight in this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. And there are countless passages of Scripture like that telling us, stand firm. The Lord is going to fight this battle for you. Take up your stand against the enemy. If you take all of if you take all of Second Chronicles 20, you can start, read that whole chapter. You'll get this whole picture of God standing, really standing in the gap where we won't have to fight. 
So we read that and we learn that they don't have to do anything, but they do have to follow. So <clears throat> Moses tells them to move on. And then we want to go on from there. Back in Exodus, God tells them he's going to do them, this for them. He's the Lord. He'll gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And then the angel of the Lord, starting in verse 19. The angel of God, who had been traveling in front of the Israelite army, withdrew and went behind them. Now, this is the first time we've seen the angel of the Lord. We've got the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. God Almighty in all of his power, the angel of the Lord comes and stands between them. A theophany, a picture really of the protection of Jesus Christ. Usually when you see the angel of the Lord, it is a, a theophany, an appearance of the Lord Jesus. Then the angel of God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, their army. See Israel's army, their little army. And there's the angel of God. Traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. So <clears throat> um, what I have basically on on questions under um, number verses 19 through 31, just that first section. Um, what was left for the Israelites to do when God gives them their instructions? All they have to do really is obey him and walk through that, that water that he's going to part for them. And um, let me just keep reading here. It says in verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided. <clears throat> and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right hand and on their left. So all they had to do was follow their leader. Keep their eyes on Moses. So according to Hebrews eleven twenty nine. What was developing in the hearts of the Israelites as they walked through that wall of water on each side of them? Their faith was growing. They walked through that water by faith and not by sight. Seeing those walls of water on each side of me would have probably given me claustrophobia and, and driven me crazy. But by faith, they walked through that water, walked through that wall of water on each side of them, trusting that the Lord would hold that water back. It's, it's quite a picture. I mean, we see pictures of it and we hear the story over and over again, but put yourself into it. Walking through that wall of water. Think about their options. You know, mm -hmm. Their options were either go back and be killed or trust God and move forward. Trust God. And it took trust because if you didn't trust God, all you would do would be thinking about that wall of water. See, I might be tempted to do that. If you have claustrophobia, <laughs> you can't see out either side, you're probably gone. 
<laughs> but you see, they trusted God and, and learned to trust him in this. <clears throat> so I want to go on a little bit. And the, um, the next question I want you to, to think about from verses 21 through 28, describe what Moses would have seen as he, as he looked upon the sea. Because what we have in this is the people walk through to dry, on dry ground. Verse 21, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. So behind them, had they looked, that's what they would have seen. The Egyptians pursued them, and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty getting through. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. So then, verse 26, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. And the water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them survived. I want you to think about Moses standing on the other side and the Lord telling him to raise his rod again so that the water could go back. Tell me what you think he saw. You need to think about the destruction. What did he see as he looked back after Israel's on dry land, the horses and chariots coming after him? And Moses has this terrible job of lifting his rod and seeing what? Water Absolute destruction, not just nice water flowing over them. Panic, fleeing. Look what it says in scripture. They were absolutely swept away. Stretch out your hands so the waters may flow back over the chariots and the horsemen. And he stretched out his hand and the sea went back to his place. And the Egyptians were fleeing toward it, coming toward the Israelites at the time that water started coming back. Think of the terror of the lost, because that's what's happening to them. The water begins to come over them, and they have nowhere to go but back, and going back is as bad for them as it would have been for anyone. The water's coming over them. The chariots are mired in the mud. The horses are there. The panic is there. I don't want you to think this is just a pretty sight. It was really the terror of the Lord and the anger of the Lord in judgment, showing them that he had the power to destroy Pharaoh and his armies. And Moses had that job of lifting his rod. Do you, do you think after that, then he's thinking, 
I asked him to let my people go. Now we're free. Maybe now it's over with. That might have been another thought. And I think it was, especially for the Israelites. The Israelites thought it was all over. And that's what we're going to see in the rest of the chapters until yeah. we finish this up. I mean, Moses was... <laughs> Do you think he had PTSD? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he had to go for counseling? <laughs> think about it. That's what would be happening today. <laughs> the first thing they would do is open a counseling center. But the Lord covered all of that. Yeah. And covered their minds, covered all that they saw. But I don't want you to think that this is a sanitary, easy thing. I want you to know that when the Lord did this, those Egyptians were thrown into an absolute impossible mess that they could not escape. Mm -hmm. Marcia? Yes. I was thinking it had to be loud. Because the people would have been screaming, the horses would be too. They right. would be just so frightened and they made right. and you know stomp and it would have been. You know, I want you to think wild. of that. I do. Because we need to understand the power of God. You know, it's it's nice, you can watch it on TV and it's all sanitized. But the reality is these were people, these were animals, these were people who were fighting against God with all their might. And his purpose was to show them that he was the Lord, most high, more powerful than Pharaoh, their leader. And it wasn't a sanitary, easy, quiet death. But that's what it took to destroy Pharaoh's horsemen's, horsemen and armies. So um, what we see here is really the power of God displayed. One of the questions I have on here is um, down at the bottom under question two, under verses 21 through 28. Why was it important that Moses was involved in that action of lifting his rod so that the water would cover them? Why didn't God just do it? he needed a spokesman for them to follow because a lot of them weren't listening to God. Mm -hmm. He was, his he was totally messenger. God's representative and the job had to be finished. Yes. And he wanted to show the people that um, they needed to follow Moses and that he was giving them right. this image that they should follow him and his <clears throat> commands. Exactly. You see, what God had in mind here was that Moses would stand before the people of Israel and they would acknowledge him finally as their leader. Mm -hmm. Yes, Anne. And that God honors obedience. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that God honors not just Moses' obedience, but the obedience of the Israelites in following him. It was absolutely imperative for him to see this thing through. And I want to just kind of use that as a word of encouragement for us to see the thing through. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. And God calls on us to stand in the gap. And sometimes what happens isn't pretty or sanitary. But God calls on us to trust him through it all. Nice, we sing that little song. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. That is the truth. Through it 
all through the hard parts. I've learned to trust in Jesus. And so God's plan was for Moses to emerge as their strong leader. And that's what we're going to see here in the very last verses. I want to read 29 through 31. But the Israelites went through the, the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right hand and on their left. And that day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. They saw it. And when the Lord saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. So the very last question I have on uh, this part is that these are a short summary of the, God's victory over Pharaoh. And then I have to take a few minutes and review what God accomplished that day and what important lessons did the Israelites learn. So there are about four things that they learned. I want you to list them there from those verses. So let's look at those verses again and talk about the lessons that God had for the Israelites. What did they learn? That day the Lord did what? Look up at verse 29, 30. That day the Lord saved them. The Lord saved them from the hands of the Egyptians. And as a result, what did they see? They saw the power of the Lord, and they feared the Lord, and they put their trust in Moses. That was God's purpose for this. Now, our lesson isn't done until we look at chapter 15, the song of victory. <clears throat> Some of us have sung that song, I will sing unto the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. His horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord my rock, my strength and shield. And, and we sing that and, and love it because of what it means. But I want you to... Um, I don't know if I'm going to take time to do this. I think, Michelle, I'll, I'll let you kind of cover some of this. But um, the questions I have at the end, if, if you haven't done them, um, what I'd like you to do, and I won't take time, is to look, for, look at Exodus, those references I have there, and then look at the references in the New Testament to see what the Lord has done on our behalf that just echoes what God has done in um, Exodus. Um, let me just take real quick for an example, Exodus 15, 1 through 5. Let me just take those. This is the song that breaks out after they're over on the other side. I will sing unto the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him my father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he's thrown into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the sea. The deep waters have covered them, and they sank to the death depths like a stone. What a wonderful victory song. And I want you just to turn, before I uh, wrap up here, 
to Hebrews chapter 2. I think we should sing that song. <laughs> Hebrews 2.14. If you don't have these marked, mark them. This is Jesus talking, God through him. In verse 13, he says, here I am, I and the children that God has given to me. And then 14, since the children have flesh and blood, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Was Egypt there? Describes them exactly. But here we're told that the Lord has done that for us. He has, um, by his death, destroyed him, Satan, who holds the power of death, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by fear of death. That is us. So I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. His horse and rider, the horse and rider, he's thrown into the sea for us. Okay, Michelle. So then the question and my responsibility here in this teaching is to think about how we can apply this to our lives. We look at all that they have endured and, and what can we learn from it and how does that bring about hope for our lives. So let's start at the beginning of our lesson again. Um, that would be Exodus 13, starting in verse 17. And when I started reading this and thinking through the lesson and, and what we could take away and, and how we could find hope in this, and um, we read at 17, before they crossed the sea, it says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said if they faced war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up, went up out of Egypt armed for battle. And so if you think about what Marsha all just described in the terror of it, it's like, okay, God, you thought that would be a better choice? Like... It just, it spoke to me in that he knows, even to us to say, was facing the Red Sea easier than facing the Philistines? You know, and in our lives, our own battles, you think, it, this isn't easy. Why am I going through this? But in here, we see that we need to trust in God, that he knows which way is best. And for them, this was the best way, whether it be, you know, to learn that Moses was their leader, like we discussed, or um, just deepening their trust in him for them this was the better way and God knew that and so I just it just struck me as interesting and so then I wrote the question as God is preparing the Israelites to cross the sea he chooses for them to go the longer way around for several reasons first they were not ready to face the Philistine in battle and he wanted to protect them from turning back because he knew the best for them was to go the other way 
the way that would confuse also the Egyptians. He wanted the Egyptians to know that he was the Lord by again displaying his mighty hand. And another thing I was thinking about that just as Marcia was teaching is that he wanted the Egyptians to know, well, their best was sent out essentially in an ambush to die. So the Egyptians back home were the ones that probably had the most to gain from, again, like the 10, the 10 plagues weren't enough for you. You needed more because you still didn't understand. So I, I, I think about the, the horror of watching all the people drown, but also the people back at home to say, we've lost our best. Now, who do we rely on? We've lost our best soldiers. If any were to come and attack us, who would we, you know, all of this, you know, just gets you thinking about what God is doing. Okay, so the question I propose here is, in what way does this part of the story reveal the hope that we have? We can trust his plan. Yeah, we can trust his plan and learn that he knows best, even though we might not see that as what's best. And that, just like we discussed when we were talking about the plagues, is that it goes beyond just our best, too. It's like God is so magnificent, orchestrating all these things for other people, for Moses' leadership, for the Israelites' leadership, for the Egyptians to know that he is God, to take away their best soldiers so that, what, they can start to rely on him? I don't know. But, you know, God is doing things in our lives for a great purpose, greater than just what we're facing and to me, that that is encouraging. It's encouraging to think about in my own struggles. Just, you know, you think about why are these things happening? But I'm reading this um, book called The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer, and he's talking about, you know, how you get to know somebody. If you were to get to know me, it wouldn't just be one reading. It wouldn't be just one situation with me to really get to know who I am. And the same with God, right? It's not just one interaction. It's putting all these scriptures in place, reading the Old Testament, finding him in the New Testament, going back to the old and seeing this pattern of who God is. And to me, to see this and what he's doing in their lives and what he's done in other people's lives in scripture, in our own lives, in our other people's testimonies, gives strength to his character and personally just getting to know who God is and being able to trust upon that. And so I think there's a lot of hope here. There's a lot of hope in being able to see this. And I'm, I'm so encouraged that we're able to even do this lesson. I'm just so thankful. So when you think about the long roads in your life, you know, why things had to happen, that maybe the situation is not just about you. It just affirms God's character and what he's doing, that God is good, you know, to keep telling yourself that. I mean, everybody has had long roads, right? That God has taken you on. Situations you're like, why is this happening? The bottom line is, he says his plan is to prosper us. Mm -hmm. No matter what, even though it looks awful for us, yeah. he's got a bigger picture of what's going to happen in our life. Right. And don't you think as you grow in maturity on that and you read more on that and these patterns in the Bible that you see affirm God's character that it's easier to come to that conclusion quicker as you mature in your faith? Do you guys see that in your own lives? Yeah. Yes, but I still am an Israelite and I still forget. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that's why continuing studying. Yeah. And that's why God uses the Holy Spirit. Yep. 
Okay, so then I put, can you think of any New Testament scripture where long roads, and not necessarily a longer path, but just that in general speaking, where Jesus went about doing things which seemingly seemed harder, that was actually for greater purpose. Did anybody think of any scripture? I can. Okay. Mary and Martha. Right. And Jesus didn't come when they needed him. <laughs> they needed him when Naz before Lazarus died, and he waited. But it was God that asked him to wait. Yeah. And so he waited because this was all going to work for God's glory. So for God's power, we saw the side of Jesus where he wept. Um, we also saw that people would believe, many people come to faith after seeing that witness, that account. The other one that I was thinking of is the woman at the well. Remember how they, instead of like, they, they went the route that they normally would not take and it was on purpose. And two from that, it was the start of his public ministry. It was on purpose that they went that route to declare who he was, to teach the disciples what it meant to actually love people that, you know, they would previously thought were hard to love. Um, when she went back to the um, village and it said many people came to faith and came to listen to, to what was being said. And um, it's just for, you're not sure why it's happening. You're thinking of yourself as maybe the disciple, where they're like, why are we doing this? Why are we wasting our time on this? But it had great purpose. So my point in all this is that when you look at your long roads, I don't believe for a second they're not without purpose. There's big purposes there. Mm -hmm. The next question I, I wrote down was about, um, and this is kind of a silly little question after I went back and read it, but it was about, um, you know, this story has been retold for generations. It's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. We're talking about it now. Hollywood and play productions are retelling the events. And the point is to get you thinking of what is the character that people are so in awe over? what character of God is worth retelling and talking about over and over and over again? What is it about our God? I, I, yeah, I think his endurance and his suffering for us. Mm -hmm. His great power. You know, the greatest army was coming to attack them, but they had their little weak army. And he overcame. So it's like this great foe that you think has all the power coming. But the truth is, God is bigger than all of it. You know, and his doing the impossible, his character, strength and love and faithfulness to the people. But I think a lot of people are missing today. God's strength. So last week, or no, we were on snow break last week. The week before I had talked about... I really wanted to take some time, and it looks like we have about 20 minutes here, to talk about our crossing the Red Sea moments, where we've had the long roads that we're going across and that God has parted the sea. And not so much about your circumstance where you have to reveal everything, but how you saw God show up. I really want us to be able to dialogue and talk about that. And just to think about um, the hard circumstances where you have faced fear, Fear like they were terrorized with and that you saw God come alongside you because reading it in the Bible is how we learn God's character and also listening to each other's testimonies and where God showed up in your life can also be a good witness and a huge encouragement to people that are 
not doing well that need to hear how God has showed up for you in your life. And so um, I'm going to start out and I'm going to um, take the handheld because I want everyone to be able to hear when you're going to share. So I, I hope that you're encouraged to share. And I know it's kind of scary, but here's the thing. We're talking about our God here. We're talking about a God that comes through when you're terrorized in fear, when the situations are terrible. So that's what I want to do right now. I want to honor God with our stories and encourage one another. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about, um, can you hear me in this one? It's on. You think this one's working? Okay. Yes. So um, I'm just doing this as a buffer so you guys can really be getting ready, okay? <laughs> okay, so um, just real quickly, I own a resort. Um, when I... It's think of it as a commission type situation where you don't get paid unless the resort is functioning. And so therefore, when I do a tithe, I have to wait until the end of the month. Does that make sense? I just want to preface this. It's not like I know what my income is each month. So I have to wait till the end in order to give the tithe. So I'm always like back dating, okay, or whatever. So um, Chad and I and the kids were all traveling and we stopped at Wendy's. And it was like, it must have been this really... Um, interesting Wendy's because it had like a ticker tape thing. I don't know. It was just, we're sitting there and all of a sudden this COVID stuff starts coming up and we're driving, we're going to Texas. That's what we're doing. And, um, it's talking about borders, things being shut down, real serious stuff. And Chad and I are like, we need to go home. This isn't good. This isn't good. We could just feel it. So we went home and, um, you know, everything that happened, happened. You know, the borders closed, things got really bad and ugly, and especially for our particular situation financially. And so um, at the end of the month, it was my last big check from the resort that I, I knew that I had. And I, um, I sat in the parking lot of church and I had the check written out in my hand, what would be a true tithe, right? And it's important to me, you know, to, to tithe because I know that it's not from me. And so I sat in the parking lot and I'm like, okay, Lord, this is really hard because I'm about to release what I know for my family's future. And I'm not sure this is wise, but you tell me to trust in you. And so just help me to trust in you because it's really hard right now. And I came into the, and I was alone. I don't know if I came in on a Thursday or what, but I came into the building alone and I took my check and I like held on to it as I put it in the slot. <laughs> and I was like, all right, here you go. You said to trust, test you in this and, and, and I'm just trusting you. And I just let go and I went home or whatever. And I'm like, well, dad, I did it. And he's like, well, that's what we need to do, you know? And a week later, a family had gotten the subsidy that came out and they said, we don't need this. We want you to have it. Mm -hmm. And a couple days later, I found money underneath the door of my office. Mark, to me, it wasn't like it was someone else's time. <laughs> it was this to me. <laughs> and it, it said, um, the Lord felt led me to do this for your family. And then through that summer, things started getting worse and it was confirmed it was a shutdown. Canada in itself was shutting down and everything was sort of falling apart. But what did God do? 
He started opening doors. Chad got jobs. Shalane retired. I was able to take on the assistant position. I mean, he just opened doors and, and it wasn't necessarily all like straight money like that was in the beginning, but he opened doors and he was there for me. And Chad and I's faith, I'll tell you, just grew and grew and grew. And we're like, we're, we actually came to a, a family decision that we are going to back down a little bit when the resort opens. And for him, that's hard because, you know, you want your business to like succeed and go forward and be the best that it can be. And we're like, we're going to back down. We're going to take cabins out. People aren't going to come. We're going to do more focus on family than we are the bottom line. Mm -hmm. And it just, um, I just thank God for the challenge, the long road. You know, it's still there, but it's better and it's just encouragement and, and God moved. And I'm just so thankful for that. Amen. So thank you, God. Okay, who's next? <laughs> I have something to share. Okay. But I don't want the mic. <laughs> Can everybody hear? No, I'm not standing either. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, as a lot of you know, my husband was diagnosed in 2017, March, um, with a very aggressive leukemia. It's acute, so it came on very fast. And um, so fast that our whole world just went, whoop, you know how that goes. Mm -hmm. And um, we just we just were just blown out of the water that this has happened. But because of my faith and, and you know, trusting God, um, that's the first thing I thought about. God, what are we going to do? Well, after my panic attack. Yeah. <laughs> I had a great panic attack in the hospital. And and I was in this room and they told us that he had this cancer and died up. And um, this panic, I've never had a panic attack, came over me. And Rich is talking to me. And I'm thinking, I just want to run out of here, run down the hall, and never come back, you know? And then he said to me, no. Tomorrow's going to be busy, so you better lay down and go to sleep. <laughs> and I thought, I can't go to sleep. You know, I, I got to get out of here. You know, this was my first thought. And as I was processing all that, um, God had showed me, this is, you better trust me with this. That was the first thing. You have got to trust me. So then the next thing I had kind of thought about was, I know in the scriptures it says in James, we can ask the elders and, and ministers to come and anoint him with oil. And so he was so sick. He was 88% saturated with uh, cancer cells. And um, so I called the church and I said, do you do that? And they said, yes, we do. So they came up and they anointed him. And he was so sick, he didn't even know they were there. Hmm. But they anointed him for healing. Well, then we were directed to leave St. Luke's and go down to Rochester, which his primary doctor was so excited that we made that choice to go down there. Because at this point, he was given three to six months to live. This is what we were hearing. So we went down to Rochester, and they've got such a fantastic uh, place to, to help you. Mm -hmm. And uh, even down there, it was really rough. The first time they we went down there with the family, and I was so overwhelmed with the time we spent in St. Luke's because he was so sick. They put him on this program where it's 24-7 type of thing of chemo. They just kept on pumping it into him because he was so saturated. 
And during this time, I always stayed in his room and he was so sick, just throwing up and just so many things. And I didn't know better. I was just trying to clean up and helping him, but I was overwhelmed. So by the time we got down to Rochester with the family, um, I don't know what I thought was going to happen, but Chad looked at me and says, well, now, Mom, we've got to go. I said, okay. I thought I was going home because I was just overwhelmed. And he looked at me and said, Mom, you're, you're staying. And I said, I can't stay. And he said, Mom, you're staying. you got to stay with Dad, you know. And I said, oh, you know, and I just, then the fear again. But then... The, the best part of it all is that um, I stayed in his room the whole time throughout these months that were down there because I was only supposed to be down there for six weeks and it turned into months after months because he was so, so many things went wrong. But um, it was during that time, it was the most glorious time of my life. I would take my Bible, go down to the quiet room in the middle of the night whenever I got that feeling and God would just talk to me. He would fill me, so the fear left. The next morning, I'd go back and bring it to Rich. You know, he fed me and I could feed Rich. It kept our faith going and going and going. Well, this, well, when this started, I had to ask God, 15 more years, please give me 15 more years. Because this was too quick. Three through six months just wasn't working in my mind. <laughs> and so, and so, um, I started, I journal, I journal every day of my life. So I was journaling 15 more years, 15 more years type of thing. I tell the kids 15 more years and they just kind of looked at me. <laughs> so anyway, one night I was down there when it was really a tough night and I got to Hezekiah. Because um, Hezekiah was told to put his house in order because this was going to lead to death and that's what we were kind of told. And he turned his face to the wall and prayed. Well, I called the church and everybody in the church was praying. Everybody. Um, which, you know, I was hearing this, but I was just doing my own praying type of thing. And so um, I was reading that and then it said, the prophet went back and told, tell Hezekiah, I'll grant you 15 more years. Well, it was such a hallelujah moment, you know, this 15 more years. I thought, I thought we're supposed to get our house in order, and this is it. And um, so then that happened. I told the kids, and after months and months, Rich started to um, come around and getting a little bit better. And um, so when he got down there, he had to have his second uh, bone marrow biopsy, which he had so many of those, because that's how they see how your cancer is, you know, with this leukemia. And it was going to be my birthday, the 31st of March, and they had taken this bone marrow biopsy after all of this chemo that they stuck into him, hoping it was going to start bringing this, those numbers down and he'd be better. And um, so they came in on the 30th of March, which I just don't like to be dumped down on with surprises, you know, because I thought, oh, this doesn't look good. You know, here comes these doctors. We got your results back. And Rich and I just both just, <sighs> and they said, there's zero amount of cancer cells in there. You know, it's just nothing. And if it would have been 5% or 10% or whatever it was, it would have been like really bad for Rich. And since that day, and we just went and saw his oncologist yesterday, and they always test his blood. It's always been zero for cancer. 
Wow. So praise God because, it, and then I keep on thinking, even when we go to the doctor, I used to get really nervous thinking, oh no, it's going to show up again. You know, especially this time of the year because it was March when we found out. And now I've got such peace, I always thank God before we even go in because I know that his promises was faithful to me, that he would give them these years. And not only has it increased my faith, it's also increased my husband's faith. Whoa, big. And God has used him now for other people's lives. So praise God. I mean, when you think it's the worst scenario, if you believe in God and turn to him, because you know down there, I didn't have anybody else because Rich was too sick. I had God in me. <laughs> and it sustained me and it sustained Rich and I get fed and feed my husband and I would never want to go through it again, but honestly, <laughs> it was God is so faithful. That's what I was saying. Thank you. Sorry. That's okay. Anybody else have moments where God has showed up in your life? <laughs> I know he has. <laughs> I don't know about the mic, but we'll see. Okay. Um, so, years ago, when we were, my husband Kent and I were first married, we were involved with Youth for Christ on the board of directors, and this is before Grace was born, and I was in my early 20s, and uh, we were involved, we would have events, like the second, set. we called them second Saturday events, they were, we'd have a special speaker, somebody come in, and we'd have uh, big youth events. So we had this man come in, he was from um, Tennessee, he was a comedian, and um, before the event that night, um, he wanted to get together with the board, and there were probably eight of us, and we got together, he wanted to have dinner and pray. And so we were spending time in prayer, and, and prior to this, um, Kent had been working on a town a lot, he had a very um, dangerous job at that time, and so he was working out of town, and I would be home Oh, he was gone during the week and like Satan just knows where your weaknesses are and I would get all worked up and I would end up crying sometimes at night by myself in my house thinking he's gonna die like I'm here by myself and he's gone and I mean he would work for many weeks out of town he'd come home on the weekends but then and Satan I look at it now and it's like Satan was just working on me for that and anyway so we we're with the board that night and um, praying with, with this guy, his name was Steve Dyer, and he was praying for each of our board members before this event, and um, it, it was just a wonderful time of prayer, but when he was, my turn came around, and then he was praying for me, and when he finished, he looked up at me, and he, he looked me right in the eye, and he said, and he's not going to die, no. and I was like, wow, and Kent looked at me like, because <laughs> I wasn't sharing this with anyone, you know, nobody knew this, and I had never met this man before. And he looked up at me and he said, and he's not going to die. And I thought, that it doesn't get any more direct from God than that, because only God knew I was in my house that night crying right. that he was going to die. And it was just amazing to me that it's like when I, nobody else would have known that. Yeah. It was just a direct wow. God gift time. from God. It was. I mean, it was just like, okay, 
And then it was just up to me to say, okay, now I have to have faith in that, that God's going to take care of my husband, and I need to stop crying and have faith and go on with my life, you know. And that was 30 years ago. Yeah, well, 30 years ago now. But, you know, God just reaches down and touches where you, where you need to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And kind of a neat other thing, that same night, one of the other girls who was on our board, her name was Sherry, and he got to her, and he, he said to her, he, he said, you know, and God really loves it, Cheryl, when you are home alone praising God and raising your hands and singing to him. And um, we're like, oh, well, you know, he has never known that this guy doesn't know Sherry. And um, when we were done that that evening, we were talking, and we mentioned, oh, he called you Cheryl. And he, she said, yeah, that's my real name. No, I had known this girl. We had been good friends for years. That's my real name. And nobody knows I do that, and only my dad calls me Cheryl. <laughs> and I thought, wow. And I mean, God used that man so much that night to speak to each person right where they were at. Mm-hmm. mortgages that we were trying to keep up with and it was totally impossible. We had to declare bankruptcy. And the night before the auction, uh, this was mid-September and I still have the folder for when the auction was so I know the exact date that it was. I went down to the garden to um, with an ice cream pail, you know, which isn't very big, but I didn't expect very many beans because mid-September for you gardeners is it's just the very last of the dried up curly beans that you're picking at that time of the year. And um, I turned over the five gallon pail, sat down, and I looked out over the field and I just started to cry. And I said, what are you gonna do, Lord? And um, I just put my hands down to, start picking those last beans that were there for the family. We still had seven kids home at that point. And um, I put my hands down into the bushes and I just was amazed. Like it was like the best picking you could ever have picked from those beans. They were like, like it would have been maybe at the end of June around here. Like there was like a dozen beans in my hand. And, um, the rest of the the rest of it was like that too. The rest of the picking was like that, and I began to just laugh, you know, and I, just laugh out loud and kind of talk to the Lord. I was there all by myself, and 
Uh, that picking lasted three and a half hours for me to get through all those beans, which was um, several big black garbage bags full and 72 quarts of canned beans that took me two days to get them all canned because there were so many. But um, that was not a usual thing that had never happened to us before. And it, um, it did really grow my faith. We had a few more things that we had to get through, but God always provided for us through all those years. And um, he, he provided a job for my husband up in this area of the state, which was the only job in his kind of work that he was trained for, the only place. So um, God has taken care of us. Thank you. So thanks for being patient with my softer voice. <laughs> I'll make it short. Uh, I'll try to make it short. Um, first of all, um, uh, I've had triple bypass surgery. And I found out in uh, 2019 that uh, I, I had no idea I was going to go in and have it. I was active, kayaking every day. Hauling wood, uh, rock, uh, raking, and I had a back pain that was bothering me. So I went in and they did a stress test and they said, well, you're going to have to have uh, a trip or you're going to have to have maybe a stent or whatever. So I went in and prayed with all the pastors and Pastor Pete came up and I went in and and I went singing down the hall as I'm going by all these people, these nurses are standing there and I'm going, so long, farewell. <laughs> I mean, and I had no drugs in me at that time. <laughs> no drugs. Anyway, I get in there and they go, well, she's happy. And I go, yeah, I hope I come back happy. <laughs> so I was back in the room and it was my husband and my sister-in-law there and somebody was standing this side of me and all of a sudden he said these words and if i hadn't have been laying down i would have been laying on the floor because he says there was nothing we could do for you you couldn't have stents and i'm going oh no what he goes well there's another doctor coming in to see you you need to have triple bypass surgery well i i couldn't believe it so anyway they they, they sent us home i called pete and told him that I was going to be in church on Sunday because this was on Friday or Saturday. And when I walked in, everybody goes, "Oh, that was easy. You're back. You're you, what a great what a great uh, recovery you had." And I'm going, "Well," and that's when the story came out that I knew I had to have triple bypass. So I went in, had triple bypass, and the whole time that all of this was going on, after we got over the shock of it and my family and everybody did, I was at peace. It's just like God was gonna be with me. I was gonna be fine. I went into the surgery, came out, ended up later on having to have a pacemaker, uh, defibrillator, and that has never gone off. I've been in and, and everything was fine with me. Then uh, in November, Denny found out he had prostate cancer. 
So he has just finished up with eight, eight weeks, eight, eight weeks of radiation treatments. And now he's going to therapy to get his strength back in his legs and his arms. So now I'm praying for him. But God's been with us. So praise the Lord. Praise you for everybody praying. It's been wonderful. Wow. I'd like to go on because I love hearing the stories. They are encouraging. And, but time, we have to wrap up, and I just want to close with prayer. I also want to, last night, this morning, I guess, I was up at four, and I know some people just live like that, but I don't. And so <laughs> when I'm up, I'm thinking to myself, God, everyone has stories of how you have, you know, you've parted the sea, you've been with, but people also have stories in our, in our church, even right now, that the sea is not being parted and it seems very bleak and it's very hard. And I'm like, should we even talk about the things? And I talked to Marsha about it, you know, talk about the good things and, and Marsha gave words of encouragement and that we need to talk about the good things that have happened in our lives where God has been there to remember that and to give other people encouragement, encourage ourselves and, you know, just remembering God is what he wants. So I thank you for who shared. And I know that there's more people that have had it. We ran out of time, but um, I just want to pray for the people that are walking through and the waters rising up, you know, because it's happening. So let's just close in prayer. Lord, I thank you for today and your word and what you did and, and how we just see who you are and your character and it builds up our hope and we can look at what they've endured and surely have hope in who you are. And I'm so thankful for the, um, the things that you've done in our lives, even here, that we can be encouraged for what's to come in our future, that we can encourage our fellow sisters and brothers in Christ by what you've done in our lives. Give us the, the strength to be able to share and, and the courage to be able to share that with people around us. And I also pray, Lord, with a very heavy heart that there's people who are not crossing and the water's rising up. And I pray for their strength that if it is not your will for them to cross, that you would give them the strength to endure what is ahead and that you would just wrap your arms in that everybody's love and affection and prayers, they would remember how much you love them and that your will is the best will, even when it doesn't seem here on earth like that should be the way. But I just pray for continued courageous Christian faith in this church and as we come alongside people that are hurting, Lord. I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.